Today is Trinity Sunday. It's a Sunday that is set apart by the church to really talk about something that is rather unique to the Christian faith, and it is that God is in three persons, three distinct personas, which are all divine and, and the same, but also different and unique and distinct, and, and sometimes it can be confusing. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. Uh, it'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sometimes when we talk about the Trinity, it's almost as if we're, um, uh, I am, he is, you are, he is, you are me, and we are all together. Very, I am the walrus, cuckoo-cachoo kind of a theology of how to understand the way that God is moving, what it has to do with us. So, to kind of sum up all of that very deep theological reasoning, uh, I have a video for you that I think will help define what the Trinity is. Let's take a look. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple, okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism, a heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously. 
I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not gonna exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean really, Patrick. I'm gonna stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. Alright, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Moralism again! Alright, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited! Fine! The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. So, the Trinity, is it like water? Is it like the layers of an apple? Is it, you know, well, no, it's, that's modalism. No, that's Arianism. No, that's partialism. We have all these. The church has been very good of defining things, and then everyone who disagrees with that definition then is labeled a heretic and is kicked out of the, the church Catholic and all these things. The Trinity is difficult to understand. It is unique in Christianity to talk about God being in three persons. And a lot of times we call that simply a mystery. But I, I do think that, that this, that, that was a joke. I didn't think that, that video would have been helpful. I do think, however, that this might be helpful. Here's a, uh, a graphic here. Uh, the, the, the bottom of the graphic is in French, and I'm not going to attempt that. But the English translation says, this is not a pipe. This is not a pipe. Okay. Well, then what is it? It's a picture of a pipe, right? It's not a pipe. It's a picture of the pipe. The Trinity, when we talk about God in three persons, it is a picture of the way in which we have seen God at work. It's called the economic Trinity, and it simply has been our experience of God. God as Father, God as Son, God as Holy Spirit. There's also what's called the essential Trinity, which will forever and ever be a mystery. It's kind of like this. You can know someone by their words. You can know someone by their deeds, but you will never know what's going on up here. We know God through word. We know God through deed. We know God through interpretation of those words and those deeds. That is the economic trinity. It's the way that we have experienced God, but it's not all there is of God. God is inexhaustible. Yet another example, I want to put some music uh, up on the screen. So another way to think of the Trinity is that it starts with an idea like a composer who has music in his head or her head. And then that music is written down and becomes notes on the page. But we're not quite finished yet. You have an idea, that idea has been written down, but really to understand the beauty of what we're talking about in terms of the Trinity is then to sing what the notes represent. The experience of God. Does anyone want to take a stab at what song this is? Do you know what song this is? Yes! Gold star for whoever said that. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's one thing for that to be locked into a composer's head. It's another thing for that to be written down with great precision onto a staff. But it's not quite music yet, is it? Until you sing it, until you hear it, until you share it, until it gathers us together in worship. That is part of what we mean when we talk about God is three in one. God is not just the idea of a good song. God is not just the precision of writing it down. God is inviting us to sing and to share and for that song to bring up beautiful memories, that song to gather us in one place. And you need all three. You need that idea. You need it to be written down precisely, and you need voices to carry it. Now, we have tried through the ages to get very precise with the notes that are on the page. For example, the Athanasian Creed. Are you, this was kind of in the video. Are you ready for this? This is the Athanasian Creed. Uh, we'll put it on the screens for you. This is a portion of the Athanasian Creed, not the entire uh, creed. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. It goes on, the quality that the Father has, the Son has, and the Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated, the Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit That's like writing the notes on the page, trying to get a very exact picture of who God is. But all of that language, as precise, and it's important to have precise and beautiful language, of course, but all of that language, it's kind of a terrible song. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. On most days, that's enough. Holy, 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 right? God in three persons, blessed Trinity. It is a mystery. I hope to see it clearly. I'll stop rhyming. Um, Sing the song. On most days, that is enough. It is the experience. That's one of the things I love about the United Methodist Church is that when we look at Scripture, when we look at the world, we look at the world through three distinct lenses. When we read Scripture, we read Scripture through three distinct lenses. Tradition, which is like the Athanasian Creed, right? Reason, because God gave us brains and we are called to use them. But also experience. What is the experience of God? What is the experience of Scripture? with real people on the ground, in the world. Being in relationship with people just might help us understand Scripture a bit better. Being in relationship with people just might help us understand these creeds that we have in these ancient texts. It might just help us understand God. If we are made in the image of God, then being in relationship with one another is also being in relationship with God. Scripture says today, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
I find it fascinating that sometimes Jesus uses discernment. And this is Jesus about to go to Jerusalem. This is Jesus about to go to the cross. This is Jesus who's about to end his earthly ministry. And he says, there are some things I just cannot tell you. You just cannot bear them right now. Well, what could that be, Lord? You're, up, you're about to go to the cross. What is it that you're keeping, keeping hidden? It's kind of like this. When we are children, for example, we learn the story of Noah and the ark. Right? Genesis chapter 6 through Genesis chapter 9. And when we come to Vacation Bible School, shameless plug, which is coming in a couple of weeks, when we go to Vacation Bible School, we learn that, that, that story as a child. And what we learn is that God saved humanity through Noah, and Noah was righteous, and, and God said, build a boat, and Noah did. And we took uh, uh, two by two, the animals on the ark, and it rained for 40 daisies, daisies, right? And then at the end, at the end, the lion was hugging the lamb, and the, the, the sun was shining, and there's a rainbow, you know, da, 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 and everything was right with the world. The dove had come with an olive branch, and that's a fine story when we are children. But it's not okay to stop there. Oh, there's more to that story, but if you are a third grader, you cannot bear that right now. So let us grow and mature and walk with each other because these scriptures might just be even more beautiful, more nuanced, more difficult to understand. Like, for example, yes, God saved humanity through Noah, but also everything died. We also have to consider Noah's faith when the boat lands on the mountains of Ararat, and he looks out and sees that everything is broken and muddied and brown and dead. Instead of jumping off the ark, he chose to walk out of the ark. There is great faith there from Noah. And to recognize that when the rains started, it says that God closed the ark. God closed the door, which means that God suffered the storm. With whom was God? God was not in the ark with Noah. God was with everyone else who was suffering. God chose to be in the storm. But a third grader, you, you, you cannot bear that right now but there is more to the story. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to walk with us so that we can begin to bear the truth. As it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all of the truth. What is the truth? Well, Pilate asked Jesus that very question when Jesus was before Pilate. And Jesus says, those who belong to the truth hear my name. In other words, the truth isn't something that happens up here. The truth is not making sure that I have memorized the Athanasian Creed. Is there a value to memorizing the Athanasian Creed? Of course, sure. But the truth is not something that happens in here. The truth is something that happens in here. Jesus says, those who hear my name belong to the truth. The truth is something to which you belong and are united with. It is community. It is not only yours. <laughs> Truth does not only flow from your ideas or your opinion. 
And oftentimes, the truth is difficult. That's why it says you cannot bear this now. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to guide you and to call you into a community, to belong to the truth. Because the truth is hard. Sometimes. For example, what is the truth of something like gun violence in America? What is the truth of that? Now, know what you're thinking. Like, oh, great. Matt, everything was going so well at Asbury. You know, here, here we go. Right? No, no, don't, don't leave. Don't leave. And it is true. Jesus said, put down the sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And I've tried to model that personally in, in, in my faith walk. But if I want to get to the truth of trying to figure out and to stop gun violence in America, I know enough to know that I need to invite to the table someone of a different opinion than mine. The truth is something to which we belong, which means it cannot be only me at the table. I tend to be a bit of a hippie about, about guns, so then I need someone who is quite familiar with them to be sitting at the table with me if we are going to come to a place of mutual problem solving. Because we like to retreat, we like to join our silos, and that hasn't helped yet. Truth is something to which we belong, therefore there has to be more than one person at the table. That's part of the heart of the Trinity, is inviting us into the table, into community, into communion with one another. So, for example, like right now, the, the Louisiana legislature has a bill that uh, could potentially allow teachers to carry weapons into the classroom. And all I ask is that they invite teachers to the table to have that discussion. Right? Teachers might have a thing or two to say about that bit of legislation. And I am not a teacher, ergo, I am not commenting on that. My prayer is that we invite teachers into the conversation. Same thing with racism. We cannot talk about racism if everyone around the table is the same shade. Truth is something to which you belong. And here is the mystery of the Trinity. We are not God. And yet, and yet, God invites us into God's life anyway. The very definition of being connected with God is creator and creation, two things that are not the same, being in communion with one another. Do you want to know what the Trinity looks like? Look to your right and look to your left. If Augustine is right, the Trinity is the lover, God, Jesus, the beloved, and the love that they share. God the lover, Jesus the beloved, and the love that they share. And because we, the church, are the body of Christ, there is God the lover, we, the body of Christ, the beloved, and the love that we share in mutual adoration. What does the Trinity look like? Look around. When we come together as a body of Christ to worship God, this becomes a manifestation of the Trinity itself. God inviting us in to God's own life. So, for example, uh, you see it on our altar. It will also be on the altar table. It will also be on the screens. Here's a, um, it's a, it's called the Trinity icon, and it's from a Russian artist named Rublev, 
from the 14th century, for those of you who want to win Double Jeopardy one day, this is Rublev's 14th century icon on the Trinity. It is meant to depict the three visitors who visited Abraham in Genesis. Coincidentally, this picture was uh, the Christian theology final at Duke Divinity School. You got a copy of this picture and one word, explain. <laughs> and it was 70% of our grade. Like, so, so there's a bit of me where my heart begins to race and I feel quite anxious when I see this, this picture. It was just the picture and the word explain. Like, oh my gosh. Okay, uh, here we go. So what are we looking at? What do we see? And icons are a tool in which it's a, it's a tool of prayer that brings us to a place. We, we have three figures. The figure on the far left has blue underneath and this kind of pink coat that you can see through. It rec the seeing through the coat represents not being physical, so being spirit. The blue that we see in this picture represents the heavens, which represent divinity. For example, when we look at the image in the center, the image represents Christ. It has the blue of divinity and the dark red of humanity, the clay from which we are made, coexisting in the same place, and the figure in the center is blessing the cup. The figure on the far left also you can see through the green garment, which means it is spiritual. Green means growth, also the blue of divinity. The image on the far, um, sorry, that side, <laughs> right, left, that side, uh, is the Holy Spirit. So around this table, you have Father, Son, and Spirit. They all have the same face. The whole, they all have the same face. The middle image and the image on the side are both looking to the Father. Behind the Father, there is a mansion. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Behind the figure in the center representing Christ is a tree, the tree upon which Christ will be crucified. And behind the Holy Spirit, there is a mountain where we meet God the presence of God. There are several other hidden gems uh, in, in this picture, and you kind of have to be close to see them. But probably the most fascinating thing about this picture is that there is a fourth person in the picture. Can you see that fourth person? That fourth person is you. The picture is from your perspective. You are sitting at the table with God. The heart and the mystery of the Trinity is that God, through grace, has invited us to sit at God's own table. God has an insatiable desire to be with us, to the point where God makes room in the heart of the divine for people like us. Imperfect people like us. For example, I had the great fortune of seeing uh, Top Gun this past weekend, Top Gun Maverick. Have you seen Top Gun? You should see Top Gun. We saw it at the Robinson Film Center because we should all support local independent businesses. Go to the Robinson. It's fantastic. So we saw, in fact, I, I saw some several church members at, at the showing uh, there. Top Gun was awesome. It has everything. Like there's explosions, there's F-18s, there's Tom Cruise who's 100 years old but he still looks 30, right? It's disgusting. You know, it's like he doesn't age. He's a freaking vampire, man. It's just like he, he never ages. You know, a bunch of beautiful people in that movie. Anyway, we don't have time. So, but 
in this movie, there, there is a mission. There is a mission that they have to accomplish. And they cannot do it alone. They need, every leader needs a wingman, whether it's Maverick and Goose or Maverick and Rooster, in this case. There is a mission to accomplish. They have to, in tandem, traverse a very dangerous and difficult path. If they go too fast, they will raise above a threshold, making them vulnerable to missile fire. If they go too slow, they will be intercepted by enemy planes. They have to fly it just right. And they have to fly it just right with each other. We are not called to be perfect. And there's this great thread in Top Gun about the, the, the sin of being perfect. We are not called to be perfect, but we are called to be perfect for each other. To be in perfect love with each other. Can't go too fast, you leave somebody behind. God does not leave anyone behind. Can't go too slow, then you will never grow and get to the finish line. We, friends, have to dance just right with each other. We don't have to be perfect, but we have to be perfect for one another. To celebrate when there is joy, to lament when there are tears to be shed, we have to dance well with each other. And that is what the heart of the Trinity is about. It is about learning to dance with God. It is about following Jesus on the way, the truth, and the life, and also allowing the Holy Spirit to bear even a difficult truth to us, inviting to the table people who aren't like us so that we can both belong to the truth. And what does the bumper sticker say? The truth shall set you free. Indeed. It is a freedom to be in love with each other. It is a freedom to be in love with God. It is a freedom to dance, to sing, not just be notes on a page, but to fill the air with that which words cannot describe. So what song are you being called to sing? with your one crazy life? How will you dance with your partners here in this holy place? What picture are you being called to present to the world? And I hope it is a picture in which people are invited to your table. Where is the Spirit guiding? So whether it is modalism or Arianism or whether we think God is like Voltron. Sometimes, sometimes it is enough to just sing God in three persons blessed trinity and to sing it well. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let us pray.